0: Some time ago, George Barna polled adults. This was his question. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask? Well, the top response was this. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Now, I can't think of anything more universal to the human experience than suffering. In fact, many people point to the problem of pain as their reason for not believing in God. So if you're not going through a hard time right now, uh, just wait, because you will. You see, that's the nature of living in a fallen world. Pain is guaranteed for anyone who takes on the task of living. And some of you are in the furnace of suffering right now. It it took all you could gather just to come today because of what your week's been like, what your last month has been like. Others of you have just come out of a time of affliction and the rest of us will be there sooner or later. This is not just an intellectual issue that we're going to package in a sermon today. No, this is an intensely emotional matter that has left some of you with spiritual vertigo. You feel like you can't even get your balance. You've just been rocked. One writer referred to the problem of pain as the question mark that turns like a fish hook in the human heart. And so related to the question of why there is suffering is this question. How can I process all my pain? I mean, we live in a sinning, sighing, sobbing, and suffering world filled with cancer and murder and relational ruptures and dementia and grief and genetic disorders, and that's just the beginning. Write this down. When you become a Christian, all your problems are not removed. <laughs> Actually, you inherit a new set of because now you are swimming against the cultural current you see the christian life is not about the subtraction of suffering but rather the addition of grace to help you go through suffering now, one of the reasons Romans 8 is so great is because it presents in detail three major doctrines of the Christian life. Justification deals with the past. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification deals with the present. We're saved from the power of sin. That's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And glorification Deals with the future where we will be saved from the presence of sin. And so, back to our question how do we hold on to hope when we're hurting? Well, that's exactly what's addressed in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's read this passage together. Stand if you're able. Uh, Feel free to follow along in your copy of the scriptures. It will also be up on the screen. But let's read it together, being reminded that this is God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. So let's approach it with great reverence, because God has spoken but also rejoicing because this is the words that bring life to us today. So let's read verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, and we need to be reminded of the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to persevere in suffering. Here's our main idea, to get through your groaning, focus on the glory to come. And I see three ways to hold on to hope from this passage. Number one, focus on future glory more than your present suffering. Well, this isn't easy to do. You see, when we're hurting, we tend to get so wrapped up in what we're going through that we can lose perspective. And verse 18 gives us a corrective. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. That word four links us back to verse 17 where we learned how our present grief prepares us for promised glory. The word consider here is helpful. It means to reckon, to think about, to calculate, because that's exactly what we have to do. We have to think about what we're going through. We have to calculate it. See, it's important to think biblically about suffering so we're not surprised when it comes. Oh, would you observe the word sufferings is plural. See the S there? Meaning that we have a multiplicity of problems. The word glory means heavy. It means weighty. It refers to all of God's attributes. It refers to God's presence, all of his promises. I mean, we use this phrase in our culture today. When somebody who knows Jesus dies, we say that he or she went to glory. Now, here's what this passage is saying. Compared to the weightiness of glory, our sufferings are relatively short and light. Some of you are like, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, the notes in the ESV study Bible are helpful. The ultimate glory that Christians will receive is so stupendous that the sufferings of this present time are insignificant in comparison. Bruce Gatch adds, our suffering is minute, virtually insignificant in comparison to the glory that is established for us in heaven. It's a good trade to surrender what you cannot keep in order to keep what you cannot lose. So lest we think that the apostle Paul is not really grounded in reality, Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So does that mean Paul is making light of his troubles? I mean, he's saying that they're short and small compared to the extent of eternity and the coming weight of glory. Now listen, we should pay attention to his perspective because Paul was beaten. In fact, if you go back just a few verses, he was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Here's what usually happens in my world and my guess, similar with you. We tend to gaze upon our sufferings and only glance at our future glory. Instead, this takes work, it takes calculation, we have to, we have to work hard at this. We're called to glance upon our sufferings while gazing at glory. Now, to get through your groaning, focus on the glory to come. Number two, recognize the curse on creation will be reversed. And doesn't it seem like our world is out of whack? I mean, our planet even. I mean, on a regular basis, we hear of flooding, earthquakes, heat waves, viruses, I read an article in USA Today yesterday talking about mega droughts and mega floods to come where it rains like a hundred straight days. I mean, verse 19 personifies creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That word waiting means to look for with expectation. Oh, that phrase, eager longing is used seven times in the New Testament, each time referring to the return of Jesus Christ. It means to stretch out the neck, to thrust the head forward, to be looking ahead, looking to the future. J.B. Phillips captures this idea well in his paraphrase. The whole world is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Would you note, all of creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself is straining to see the coming restoration when Christians will be made complete at the revealing, which means the return of Christ. Interestingly, this is one of three words which refer to the second coming along with the words appearing and coming I've been pondering this past week or so a quote from Martin Luther. Check this out Live as if Christ died yesterday Rose this morning and is coming back tomorrow (laughs) If we live that way, we would live differently Now, speaking of the return of Jesus Christ, over 330 people have already registered for our prophecy conference coming up in about a month. Dr. Michael Rodelnick of Moody Bible Institute will be speaking Friday night, and he'll also be hosting Open Line right here from the Worship Center on Saturday morning, taking questions related to prophecy. Open Line goes out across the nation on Saturday morning. Four other speakers will be sharing. Dr. Ray Pritchard will be preaching Saturday night and Sunday morning. So we have extra postcards, and we actually have extra posters if you work in a place where you can post a poster if you want to swing by your library or Panera. Grab some in the back and post those around the community. Now, creation care is important. We should be good stewards of the earth. I mean, God has given it to us. But this passage gives us three truths to hold on to. Number one, creation has been cursed in the past. I'm in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So when Adam sinned, all of creation was put under a curse. Genesis 3, and to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, some of you who garden are like, yep, it shall bring forth for you. Genesis 5.29 adds, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. All creation suffers the backwash of Adam's sin. And as a result, there's disappointment, there's decay, There's disease, there's disorder, and death. By the way, I'm looking forward to our next verse-by-verse study. It'll be from the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Secondly, we learn the curse will be reversed in the future. Now go back and let's pick up the last two words of verse 20. We read there in hope and now verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when Christ returns, creation's corruption will be turned around and paradise will be restored. Our freedom will mean creation's freedom. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we're waiting for what? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to Isaiah 11.6, when the effects of sin are removed from our world, the animal world will no longer be predatory. Listen, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Next, creation is groaning right now. It's groaning in the present, Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. If you listen carefully, you can hear creation groaning out for redemption. That word groaning means to sigh with affliction. It was used for groaning under a heavy burden. (laughs) Now, as a guy, I don't pretend to understand the pains of childbirth, but... I know it's painful, but here's a good picture of what the world is going through right now. Hosea 4.3 says, therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea are taken away. Friends, mark this to get through your groaning focus on the glory to come. Number Three, wait with hope and patience while you groan inwardly. so what we learn in this text not only is creation growing groaning, but Christians are groaning as well. I wonder what 's your response when you 're going through a hard time? like what do you what kind of audible sound do you make that comes out of your mouth i, I didn 't even know I do this, but when i 'm stressed or thinking about a lot, apparently this is what Beth tells me. <laughs> I walk around the house, and I'm like, Pow. Pow. I don't even know I'm doing it. And I'm sure there's other times I'm groaning. What sounds do you make? <laughs> I bet you make some, because we go through hard times, and some of us are like, oh. we're, we're just grieved, we're groaning out loud. Brothers and sisters, take comfort. When you groan, God hears your groaning. Exodus chapter two, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned. Why? Because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew According to Romans 8:23, we know this world is not all there is because we are not home yet. Look at verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Believers have been given the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we've been given the first installment and pledge of the final delivery. First fruits in the Old Testament referred to the initial offering made when the harvest came in. It was made in faith and in anticipation of a greater harvest to come. 2 Corinthians 5 5, God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. But listen, in the meantime, we groan. We groan deeply on the inside as we wait with eagerness for our full adoption and redemption of our bodies. This is fleshed out in 2 Corinthians 5. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we're still in this tent, our body, we groan being burdened there's so much gross stuff happening today i mean how can you look at your feed or the paper or on the news and not groan i mean the groaning is it's intense there's almost this universal sense of groaning Groaning is like this inward response to sin and suffering that can't even be put into words. There are two stories that made me groan deeply this week. The first, during the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in England, a giant mechanical bull, 30 foot tall, with glowing red eyes, was rolled into the center of a stadium. The human performers gathered around the bull and bowed down in worship to it. I watched the video. It makes me think of people in Old Testament times worshiping Baal, who was often depicted as a bull. On Monday of this week, Beth and I listened to a story aired by Janet Parshall. The story was so gross it made us nauseous. A self proclaimed abortion doula, who's part of a group called Self Guided Abortion, made the statement that abortion is sacred. And she gave instructions for building a personal altar to her, her words, fetal remains. That's horrifying. I mean, it brings to mind the ancient god Molech who demanded child sacrifices in Old Testament times. Now, all this stuff makes us groan, should make us groan. On top of this, don't you groan about the ugliness in your own hearts? I know I do. Why did I just say that? Why did I do that? Friends, as strange as it may sound, groaning characterizes the Christian and creation itself. We grieve and we groan, listen, but we do so with hope, hope for what's ahead, because groaning is a prerequisite to glory. (laughs) See, the groaning that comes from the grossness of sin and the greatness of suffering should create within us a longing for glory as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For the Christian groaning will be swallowed up by glory. Groaning is different than complaining. Groaning is the response that that comes as we go through suffering, as we process our own sin, and as we look at what's happening in our world. One pastor says the Christian viewpoint on suffering is this. Yes, it's bad, but it's not going to last forever. Yes, it's terrible, but this is not the final story. This isn't the last chapter. Yes, we suffer, but God has ordained that our suffering is temporary. Something better for us is on the way. (laughs) The word hope is used five times. I, I want you to see it. I put it in yellow. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So when we're groaning, God wants to develop the qualities of hope and patience within us. The word hope in the Bible is very different from how it's often used in our culture, right? Like we say, I wish or I want. We think that's what hope is. But the Bible uses hope as an assurance based on a conviction, a deep, settled knowledge grounded in the promises of God. God invites us to trust him as our hope. Psalm 71, verse 5, for you, O Lord... Are my hope. First Peter one three says we're born again to a living hope. Colossians one twenty seven reminds us the source of hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is the settled confidence that God will keep all of His promises, and patience is the ability to endure problems and pain. Why? Because if you're born again, you're on the way to heaven. And we're reminded that there's an invisible world that is actually more real than the physical world we can see. This past Wednesday night, 110 men attended the men's barbecue Man, when we were planning this, we thought maybe 20, 30 guys would come. That'd be a score. A hundred and ten men came. And I'm praying that this will lead to a movement of men who live on mission for the glory of God and for the good of our families. We were challenged from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And we summarize this passage with with some short phrases. Wake up, stand up, man up, grow up, and love up. Now we handed out these man cards. If you want a copy, if you want one of these, they're available out at the Welcome Center. If you want one to give somebody else, give it to them. And guys, don't ever give up your man card. Because this is what God's calling us to do. During the devotional, by the way, there's a group of men meeting right now at nine o'clock every week down the stairs, first room on the right. If you're prompted, like, man, I gotta do, I gotta get into God's Word, I gotta get to know some other men, I commend that to you. It meets every nine every Sunday at nine o'clock. During the devotional, I referenced an article called The Modern Man and His Fantasy World, written by Eric Raymond. I've noticed a trait among men where faith is impeded, like stopped, slowed down. I'm talking about a cultural fixation upon fantasy. Men are giving themselves to something they can see, but it's not real. However, with Christianity, we give ourselves to something that we cannot see, but is actually real. We find that men are reluctant and stagnant in their Christianity because they are thriving in a fantasy world. And then he lists three examples. Video games, pornography, and fantasy sports. And he writes this. Is it any wonder why there's such a decline in biblical masculinity in the church? It's a shame that many men are far too busy Conquering fake lands, looking at fake women, and winning fake championships instead of following Christ's path of self-denying, cross-bearing service. Now, according to 2 Corinthians 4.18, the faith world is more real than the fantasy world. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're going away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now let's summarize what we've learned. Focus on future glory more than your present suffering. Recognize the curse on creation will be reversed. And in the meantime, wait with hope and patience while you groan inwardly to get through your groaning focus on the glory to come let's circle back to the barna poll. you see god's ultimate answer to suffering is not an explanation no his ultimate answer is the incarnation You see, the best answer to the problem of evil is when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world. God is not a detached, distant, or disinterested deity. He sent his son into our world of suffering, into our evil, into our world filled with pain. He took the worst of it for me and for you, and he died as your substitute. He was raised to life as victor. He ascended to heaven as the conqueror And he is coming again in glorious triumph Friend if you have not yet done so You need to repent of your sins and receive him as your savior Randy Elkhorn says it well When you're tempted to ask god this question which many of us do Why did you do this to me? Look at the cross and ask this question Why did you do that? For me